hey, so here's something that I thought would be pretty cool is looking online for some articles about topics that we wanted to talk about. Um, and here's one about saying no from the New York Times. Um, I think it's very appropriate for us as a small business and for other small businesses to learn how to say no. You don't have to say yes all the time to all the opportunities or all the questions that you get asked. Um, so this New York Times article is by Kristen Wong. It says why you should learn to say no more often. Um, and one of the first quotes it says is the ability to communicate no really reflects that you are in the driver's seat of your own life. Yeah, I think it's so true. We've been so conditioned um, that saying yes is appropriate and polite and especially in a small business scenario where you're dealing with customers and you're looking to build a brand and kind of establish that foundation, it feels kind of natural or intuitive that you should say yes to opportunity. But I think um, what we're missing is that saying no can actually set the framework equally for your business and how you operate. And it just kind of manages expectations a little bit better. And, you know, people feel a little bit like saying no makes them, um, they're, they're other, people's, other people perceive them as being too assertive or um, sounding almost offensive or aggressive. But really, there are studies that have shown that other people witnessing us that are most assertive in saying no, they're actually perceiving us as like level, like an, an even keel or even too, or too little assertive assertion, assertiveness. Um, well, it's empowering. We more assertive. It's empowering when you say no because you're actually making a decision for your business. Mm -hmm. You know, if the answer is yes, then it's yes. But if it's no, you should have the right and feel empowered to say no. Right. And I think for all of us, it's really hard to say no. Um, you know, you think back to when you were a kid and when your parents said certain things, you know, especially for my generation and generations older than me, um, you know, you kind of, you children were seen and not heard and they didn't talk back and that all of that sort of thing was like frowned upon. So it makes it harder for us as adults and business owners to then say no, but no can actually lead to more yes. Absolutely. Um, it says in here too, and I think I agree with this, is that we live in a yes culture. It's expected that if you want to get ahead in life or in your business or whatever, that the answer is usually yes. Um, but it really is the flip side where you usually get more yeses when you assert mm -hmm. yourself and say no. Can you give us a, an instance in market space where you've felt kind of guilty saying yes? I mean, guilty saying no. Yeah, absolutely. Almost every day because we work with um, specific types of vendors. And even in 2020, we're building a very big focus on making sure all of the people we work with are handmade and are the actual handcraft makers um, because we really want to focus on the act of making. Um, if you've seen our Instagram or our Facebook, we usually post features leading up to the events that we do, um, focusing on the products of the makers that are going to be at those events. And we want to really focus the act of making. So showing people with their raw materials in the moment, actually making their product. I think that's more interesting than only seeing the finished product. Um, and the instance of us saying no a lot of times is because people can't show us that they're making their product or they're either a curator or um, a designer. And that really blurs the line. The line is pretty gray in that instance. So standing up and saying no, that doesn't fit with the focus and the business model that we're doing this year um, is hard. But I it think is. it leads to more yeses. It leads to more 
um, credibility mm. with our markets. It makes it hard because we really want to support small business. I mean, that's we are. That's the bottom business. line. Um, we're like a small business umbrella that encompasses thousands of other small businesses. And so it makes it really hard to put those parameters in place. But when we created what we do, um, we had a very specific vision for what we wanted it to be. And I think we didn't know, you know, just like anyone else starting a business, we didn't necessarily know what would come of it. And we took a really big risk um, with me not going back to work and just kind of putting ourselves out there and starting out as a sole proprietorship and then getting the the licensing and all of the stuff that we've done and how we've grown over the years. I mean, we've always kind of had this vision for what the business could be and what we wanted it to be, but we weren't sure. We were afraid to say no to the other stuff to immediately become what we wanted to be because we thought we'd cut off a lot of growth. And I think we've learned a lot along the way of like, yes, okay, so maybe sometimes that we said yes, it actually did benefit us. But, and you know, and maybe it was a surprise, but overall I think you need to be comfortable with the outcome of what yes is going to lead you to. And if you have any doubts in your mind, if it's not going to bring you happiness, if it's not going to bring you success, if it's not going to align with what you're feeling, there's no need for you to say yes. You have to kind of almost remove yourself from the picture and look at it as um, a, a pretend scenario, like pretend that none of this is real and that you saying yes or no, you know, how does that influence how that picture is going to change? Do you feel comfortable and can you stand 100% behind what's going to happen if you say yes? And if you feel uneasy about it, you shouldn't be afraid to say no. Um, the articles that Kevin's referencing actually say that you should practice saying I don't because it's more firm than saying I can't. I can't sounds like it's up for negotiation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it too, if someone's like, no, it's fine. You guys go ahead without me. I can't go out for drinks tonight. I really got to go. I have to study for this test tonight. Your friends being your friends, not, you know, trying to hurt you in any kind of way are like, oh, come on. You it can sounds go out. like I can convince it you. It sounds like, come on. Yes, I can convince you. Come on. Just one drink. It's fine. You can come out tonight. But if you say I don't drink on weekdays because I'm studying, the don't is almost more of a wall that you're it's putting firm. up and it's saying like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, maybe on Friday we'll go out. And then it forces the ball back in the other person's mm-hmm. court to rethink their question. So I think this applies to small business in a lot of ways too. Like, you know, if someone's asking you for a discount or to lower your price, it, it lends itself to knowing your worth, but also to be like, well, am I going to lose any money in the process of offering this person a discount? Do I think this person deserves a discount? Or do I give discounts? Is that even something that I should do yeah, as a the, small business? The answer might even be, I don't do discounts because... The way that I price my products is competitive. Competitive, yeah. yeah it, there's a reason to why I do the things that I do, so I just mm-hmm. don't do it that way. Right, right. So what? How do? How does somebody get comfortable in saying no? You know, it it's a very, practice. very tough thing to do right out of the gate to say no to some big questions. And in this article, it says to start small, like do it to a stranger, do it at the grocery store. If somebody says, "Would you like a plastic bag with your item?" That's a perfect time to say no, or I don't use plastic anymore. Um, but that will get you more comfortable in using that language to be able to answer no to an everyday question for your business. Right. And there's nothing wrong with saying no. It's a genuine human interaction where I think that 
really we shouldn't be feeling so bad about the other person when we say no. And again, it goes back to us being conditioned by our parents and past generations and just circumstances to think that it's appropriate to say yes and be people pleasing and people will appreciate us more and will enjoy us and will go further in life if we are perceived as being agreeable. Um, so it makes it a little difficult from the small business perspective, but you know, just thinking back to any situation that you've been in, maybe you've said yes to something, but then you've realized almost immediately that that yes was not the appropriate response or not how you had intended on responding. So then you find a way to lie your way out of the situation and that makes you feel more anxious. It makes it more uncomfortable. It's harder to get out of. I mean, I'm not just talking about like, I don't feel like getting out of bed today, but that's perfectly fine. You know, if you're in a situation where you're like, nope, not happening today, I can't make this happen. You just have to frame it that way and not be afraid to say no. There's another article that I pulled um, called How to Stop Saying Yes When You Want to Say No. Um, I thought this was a pretty cool website. It's on Tiny Buddha, which is Simple Wisdom for Complex Lives. That's cute. Yeah, written by Chantel Blickman. Um, And there's a whole list of helpful tips for saying no. Um, It says be direct. Just like you said, don't say can't, say don't. Don't apologize and give oh sorts gosh. of reasons. Apologizing. I That's like, the biggest wait, thing. Let's... I always feel like I have to say sorry in an email oh when I'm saying gosh, no. Oh my gosh, yes. I think I apologize for a lot of things too, but really if you change it around, like let's say you're late for something, if you constantly say I'm sorry, okay, first of all, yeah, it sucks that you're late, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Instead of framing it as I'm sorry I was late, maybe say thank you for waiting for me. Put it, put a positive spin on it. I think not only does that almost take, uh, how I don't know how to word what I'm saying. Like, takes the onus off of you. Yeah, it does. It, it almost helps the other person let their guard down a little bit. They're maybe caught a little bit off guard by the way you responded because culturally, socially, they're probably expecting you to say sorry. Um, but you're giving it that positive spin that, that like, thank you so much. I understand your time is valuable. Thank you for waiting for me. And it's not just, I'm sorry, okay, let's kind of dwell on the negative fact that I was late. There's nothing you can change about it. You know, when something happens, like you're running late or, you know, whatever the case may be, it's something that you're not really able to change. And actually, I'm reading a book that Kevin gave me. It's How to Be a Badass. Um, Hold on, grabbing the book so I can talk about it. It's by Jen Sincero, and it's, I think it came out in 2012 or 2013, but I feel like a lot of people are reading it now. So it's You Are a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. And um, it's just kind of really important for people to recognize the things that she's saying, and I think it's really helpful to apply to everyday life. And one of the things that resonated most with me is that dwelling on the past is depression, Focusing on the future is anxiety. You have to really catch yourself in the moment and focus on the present time. So if you start thinking in your head, you're going through all these scenarios in your head of like, I can't say no because the last time I said no, I lost a sale or, you know, but if I say no to this person, then they're never going to shop with me again. They're going to post a negative review. And now you're in the future and you're thinking all these anxiety driven situations 
maybe that won't even happen. You don't actually know. And I mean, I'm like the perfect example of person that does this sort of thing. So worrying about the past, worrying about the future instead of living in that moment and saying right now, the answer is no. Yes. So to hone in on that, you know, you can always, there are things that you'll be able to address as time moves on. I think Mm -hmm. it's really important to just start setting boundaries and lay that framework down because you'll end up being a more successful business. It'll be something that's not wishy-washy. It's very black and white. And then if you think in terms of future growth, let's just say hypothetically, you were to turn around and sell your company in a couple of years and make a ton of money and be able to retire and go move to an island. If you have very clear framework in place of the yeses and nos of your company and what you do and you do not do, it makes it that much easier to transition it over to someone else who can manage it. And I think from the small business perspective, yes, we all want to keep that mindset of being a small business, being in touch with our customers and having a hand in it at all times. But we also want to think about growing. And I think there needs to be a time where for every small business, you start thinking about, yes, I want my product at handmade markets because it gives that personal touch and that connection to the community. But maybe it's not you who's there. Maybe you're hiring someone to be there for you. It's much easier to communicate the yeses and nos of your business than it is to say, well, sometimes I offer a discount if they're a student and they're and it's Tuesday and they're wearing orange socks versus on Thursdays when they're a senior citizen and they're wearing purple socks. Like these kind of arbitrary things that we create around yes and no make it much harder to then relay and then scale later on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, having something clear cut, you know, a policy yeah. on when you say no and when you say yes. Um, that hits home for us because there are certain markets that we do, you know, we're we're in the handmade market business and we have to say no sometimes and it's clear, clear cut, you know, Mm. no is the answer and it's always going to be the answer Um, and not feeling guilty about it, not feeling um, trapped in that conversation to be like, what do I do in this scenario? And like, you have to kind of stand up tall and feel empowered and, and make that decision. Um, another thing in this, um, in this article is that maybe it's so difficult to say no, because it stems from childhood, you know, saying no to your parents when you were a kid was impolite or inappropriate when in reality, when you're growing up and it's not an impolite or inappropriate thing to say yes or no, Mm -hmm. it's more of a decision that you're making yourself. So not feeling like you're being disrespectful in saying no in a situation, but more so being a mature adult capable of making your own choices and knowing the difference between right and wrong. Do you think there was ever a pivotal point in your life uh, where you stopped feeling like that parent-child relationship where you should say yes to everything and you started thinking more in terms of being an adult and and then starting a business where um, you almost have to separate yourself from that history? Well, when I grew up, my parents were very much maybe helicopter parents, especially my mom. She wanted to know everything I was doing at all Hopefully times. Hopefully they're not listening. Um, and, <laughs> and even if she is listening, it is very true that she's just very involved with her children. She wants the best for us. She wants to know everything that's going right. on. And she wants to mitigate any problems that we're having before we have them. Right. And um, it's, not, it's never coming from a bad place. No, it's never coming from a bad place. And a lot of times place. these situations are not coming from a bad place. It's coming from a, a place of being genuine and someone who maybe cares about you or is is they have some other thing going on that's external that maybe they 
are have they're seeing they're looking at the situation through that lens of their own perception. Right, but when I moved out of my house finally, um, that was the moment where I had to tell my mom, no, you know, I have to live my own life and I have to make my own decisions. And sometimes I won't tell her everything. And sometimes I'll have to do things my way. Um, so that was kind of a pivotal point in me kind of being more mature and growing up and saying like, this is the way I'm going to do things. And the answer sometimes will be no. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it's a little bit empowering. You do feel bad at first. But that's how you learn, right? Yeah. Sometimes when you say no, maybe it wasn't the right decision, but then you get, you know, tenfold the experience there. Yeah. Um, what else? What else was on that list? Was there anything else that you wanted to read through? Uh, remember your self-worth. I think we talked about that. Self-worth is huge. So I actually went to a Babes in Business meeting. If you're local to New Jersey and you're at all familiar with Babes in Business, it's um, basically run by the girls who run Asbury Bazaar. And um, they have this networking group for women, women women-owned businesses. And um, usually they meet, I think it's once a month, and they have guest speakers. And it's just kind of like a feel-good time where you go out you can have like themed cocktails and they have a photo booth and then you can shop small business makers and it's you know it's usually only a handful of people that are um they're selling their product but it's cool for networking purposes and um they have speakers who either have like an insane social media following or just have really cool applicable experiences and knowing your worth was one of the topics from one that I went to my gosh probably almost a year ago um where it's hard when you're first kind of breaking into the scene and and like, hey, I'm starting a business, to know how to price yourself. And you may want to price yourself really low because you're thinking like, I'm new, people won't see me as valuable as the other people who've been doing this for a long time. But really, it's knowing your worth. Your time is worth just as much. Of course, you know, you'll have increases in your price as time goes on and you do gain more experience, but you shouldn't price yourself so low that it's almost laughable because then people won't take you seriously. You need to set that name for yourself and set that boundary and just kind of really, again, laying framework for the customer base that you want and for the amount of work that you want to do. It's Sometimes it's a matter of working smarter and not harder and someone may say, oh, you're charging way too much for that service. Okay, that's fine. You can go to someone else. That was never going to be your client anyway because even if they did, even if you charged them the lower price point, who knows how that person could have turned out to be. It could have been a nightmare of a situation. And I think that happens for all of us where we end up catering to a person who then comes to expect that every single time, expect a discount every single time, expect preferential treatment every single time, and it comes back Full circle to saying no. So knowing your worth and saying no go hand in hand. Yeah, it's a snowball effect. If you are going to give somebody a discount the first time because you feel bad or they asked for something and you weren't confident enough to say no, um, then that person is going to expect a discount every time. It's one of the things that I learned early on in starting this business. It was about the coupon, right? The coupon thing? Yeah, if you offer somebody a discount, they will expect a discount forever. Mm-hmm. If you give somebody something for free one time as like a courtesy to try it out, 
um, they are more likely to pay full price next time. Yes, they than if you gave like them a, a discount. Brand, brand loyalty. If you've hooked them up with something for free once, exactly. So it's okay discount? to say no to a discount. You know, if somebody's like coming to you saying, "I'm not sure if I'm going to buy something. Are you going to offer a discount to mm-hmm. me?" It's always okay to say no. And that's a thousand percent true. I mean, in what we do, we see it all the time. Where we've offered discounts on things, um, we thought it would be kind of a cool incentive, especially as we were growing, right? So we're in our third year now of business where people are coming to us organically um, from the vendor side and even customer side. But when we were first starting out and we were still building out the network, we thought that it would be a good idea to offer coupons and that we could kind of broaden that customer and our customers by customers, I mean are the makers, the people that are um, coming to us to sign up for our market. So we thought it'd be a smart idea to offer the coupons, but for sure we captured people that only now come to us if they can use a coupon. And if they cannot use a coupon, they're almost insulted even though we've proven concept to them. So it, it comes down to there are some people who are never going to be happy with what your price is. But it, then it comes back to, well, would you want a customer, your customer, buying your product to come to you and negotiate with you every single time? Right. You have the authority to say, no, this is the price. And it's the same thing. Just because we're offering a service and not a tangible product doesn't mean that we have to discount it. And people don't necessarily know all that goes into what we do, just like we don't necessarily know all that goes into a craft. So, you know, you may... Maybe you're crocheting something and two different crocheters have two different price points, but one is importing the the yarn from another country or using very high-end yarn, where the other is maybe going to the craft store and buying like the $3.99 yarn. Or maybe the pattern takes mm-hmm. double the amount of time right. for one than the other. Your time is valuable. Right. Your time is, has something to say. Or your time is... I can't even talk tonight. Your time is definitely a part of the equation. So these are things that we are not going to scrutinize over. It is up to you to price accordingly. And we don't question that. And we would expect that if a customer came up to you, you'd have a good explanation to say yes or no for offering that discount. Could you give them a you know dollar or two dollar discount? Maybe. But you have to be able to say no if you're not able to or don't want to. And that's the same for us. You know, we have people who say, well, you know, certain markets of yours are priced really high and it's like, well, they have very high production costs or, you know, if the expectation is that we're going to draw in a crowd, we need to be able to advertise that event. So the money is then going to that, you know, it, it it's just very difficult to explain and almost long winded where saying no is probably just the easier and better all around solution. Yeah, this is just the price. You don't have to really get into all the details and the nitty gritty. You know that for yourself, but mm-hmm. the customer doesn't necessarily need to know all that detail. They just need to know that this is the price because that is the price. And it's and, not even just for pricing. I mean, there are definitely markets we do where customers will go up to some of our vendors and say, well, you should really do this, that, or the other. You should offer this in a gift package. You should yeah. start doing this. You should offer another flavor. You should do this in this color. And it's like, Okay, first of all, we've known each other for two seconds since you walked up to my table. And second of all, since when do you like have all the expertise on this business? That'd be like someone without any sort of like medical degree coming in and telling you how to treat your patient. It's it's crazy to me that people just 
have no boundaries and they just think that because they have an idea that it gives them some sort of credibility Mm -hmm. um, and that their credibility kind of outweighs you as a professional running your own business. So, you know, you run into these situations where people overstep their bounds all the time. Yeah. So bottom line, learn to say no, learn to be comfortable saying no. Mm -hmm. Um, No can lead to more yeses. Absolutely. We've seen that in the past three years. Right. Um, Saying no to certain things that maybe you don't feel so good about. Maybe it opens up your calendar. It opens up your schedule. It opens up your wallet. It Whatever it is, it'll lead to more opportunity. It'll lead to something else that was meant to happen in the first place that will then come to you because you weren't you didn't fill it with something that you're begrudgingly doing. Yeah, but as a small business owner, you should absolutely have a stance on a lot of the uh, work that you're doing. So if somebody comes up to you and you say yes, and then another person comes up to you for a different reason and you say yes, you're bending over backwards for a lot of people and your business might be taking a hit for that. Um, it, it You definitely should be empowered and assertive to say no when your business philosophy is on the line. So what do you think is a good way to offer customer service, good customer service to someone when you're delivering a no? How do you deliver the no, but then soften the blow? Or how do you... Because in our minds, we're perceiving that we're like almost punching the person that's standing in front of us, you know, like, here's a no, and now I'm like slapping you. How do you almost soften the blow of the no and still deliver the good customer service, still let them know that you are receptive to their feedback and that you want to be able to grow, but that there are certain parameters in place, period? I think it's just being simple, replacing the I'm sorry with thank you for asking, Mm -hmm. and then replacing the no with I don't do X, Y, Z, um, and then just saying thank you for your feedback. So, you know, very short and sweet. But you're not apologizing. You're not really saying no. You're saying that's not something that I do. Um, and then acknowledging that they're asking you for something that, you know, you're taking it as feedback. But unfortunately, it's not something that you offer. Yeah. We've had people that have been offended by us saying um thank you for your feedback before they felt that we were kind of glossing over what they were saying to us. And that's not at all the case. I mean, we genuinely appreciate feedback and that's why we do what we do with the surveys and go around and ask people about their day and that sort of thing, because there's definitely room to improve and change. And maybe it's not in the exact to the T what it is that you're suggesting to us, but some variation of that. And once we survey everyone and get new ideas and brainstorm, you know, there's nothing wrong with executing an idea and then realizing that maybe it's not 100% working and then pivoting and changing that to be a little bit different, but still staying true to what we want. I mean, that's the most important because if we lose our passion for what we're doing, we won't want to do it anymore. Yeah, there's definitely instances where a customer or a client can come up and give you a great idea. Um, And you can definitely take that feedback and run with it and Um, make your business and your business model better. Um, But it's those instances where you do have to stand firm and you do have to say no to certain things because it does go against, you know, things that you are working on. What are some of the most surprising things that you think you've learned with starting a business? In general? Yeah, I mean, like, not just the things like, okay, so we learned how to file a trademark and we learned how to become incorporated and that sort of thing. Like, not that, but like, 
what are the things that you've kind of learned along the way that you were just like, wow, I'm really impressed with the fact that I know this now? I think a lot of what we do has to do with networking. And I love networking. I love meeting new people. I love making connections. But understanding where that line is drawn, I think, is very important to learn. And I think it's something that we're still learning is, you know, you get very comfortable with certain people, repeat customers that you work with all the time. It's very comfortable. It's very easy to build those relationships. But you don't want to be taken advantage of. You don't want to slip into a relationship that... The friend zone. <laughs> that may be uh, difficult for you to have a business in. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, I think, agree with that. I think, I think that's that something that is a big thing that I've learned and I'm still learning is just to be cautious in that gray area of being too comfortable with relationships. Right. I don't think we've uncracked the code for that. because We've made a lot of great friends, for we sure. Do. We do have a lot of friends, but I also think that it's important to be equal, to treat everyone the same yes. and to not... Sometimes it gets hard when we have, let's say there's a person who is like a diehard fan of ours and does every event that we have or, you know, they sign up for everything, they do everything, whether it's call into the podcast and they, they're a guest or they're writing a blog or they're, you know, organizing ways that we can be involved with them. It's hard to almost separate that to be like oh um you know we're not friends and you want to be friends with everyone you you definitely do and we have formed some really great friendships but you don't ever want that to cross there has to be uh, you have to maintain professionality professionality professionalism professionalism <laughs> we would never want any vendors or makers that we're working with to say we give preferential treatment right. to somebody else. Um, and that's one of the reasons why our application process is first come, first serve. Um, you see a lot of the same makers at a lot of our events just because they sign up for they're multiple <laughs> and they're fast. It's not because we're saving spots for people. It's not because we're giving them a preferential treatment or advance notice or anything. They subscribe to the RSS feed on yeah. our website. That's the secret. No, but everybody gets the same treatment no matter if we've worked with you a hundred times or one time. Um, everybody gets the same email and the same amount of time to sign up. Yeah. So even though we're very friendly with certain vendors that we've gotten to know over the years, it's not like we're throwing anybody anything extra. Yeah. And I don't want anybody to think that we are. Right, right. I think that's that's hard. It's hard. But again, it, it all comes back to this is our business and the way that we're choosing to run things. Just like these are all thousands of businesses that operate underneath our umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to decide those guidelines for themselves too. It doesn't mean that it's nothing personal. It's never personal. This is all just us being passionate about small business and wanting to help other small businesses advance and hopefully it all falls in line with what we believe and what they do meets what we what we see ourselves being so that we can work together it's never like oh well you know i just i don't like that person i don't want them to be here it's always like how what can they bring to us as a brand and what can we bring to them as a brand and if we're not passionate about what someone is doing sometimes it does put us in that difficult situation where we have to say no because we can't truly support something or speak to it or or be like gung-ho about it if it's not what we really believe for our business yeah i couldn't have said it better yeah, um i'd love to hear from our listeners if somebody has a story about saying no to somebody um or a moment where you had to know your self-worth or 
anything like that, I'd love to hear a story. So you can always email us at podcast at marketspacevendorevents.com. Um, or you can DM us on Facebook or Instagram and we'll get it. Um, but I'd love to hear some stories or some questions from the listeners. Yeah, and definitely if you have a chance and you're looking for an amazing light read, check out You Are a Badass, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life by Jen Sincero. We are not at all paid for saying that. That's just me reading a book. I'm, I never considered myself much of a reader, but I'm blowing right through the chapters. <laughs> it's like... It's very easy, easy to read. Such an easy read and it just makes sense. And the way she writes is very light. Um, there are some curse words peppered in there. So if you don't Not a sponsor, words, don't. but I will leave the link down in the show notes so you can... Check out uh, this book. It's, yeah, definitely check it out. It's definitely the best book I think I've ever read. So that says a lot. Good I don't plug. read a lot, but I mean, you know. She's halfway through and she's had it for like five days. Yeah, it's great, which, you know, considering I'm running a business and I'm a mom and all this other nonsense, I uh, don't have much time for reading. So the fact that I'm halfway through says a lot about the book. It's really just a reminder of things that you already know, um, but it helps reframe it and helps you say, oh, yeah, wait a minute, I should be doing this. Yeah, It's so just growth for yourself, personally, professionally, loving yourself um, and setting boundaries and just really kind of changing your perception of things to make it better and easier to then kind of like attract the things that you want. So to put yourself in these better situations to keep bringing about better situations so you don't have to feel bad saying no and you don't have to feel like you're doing anything wrong by being assertive and speaking your truth. And being a badass. And being a total badass. <laughs> if you liked an episode like this where we talk about a subject and look at some articles, let us know. If you have a topic that you want us to cover, let us know as well. Yeah, awesome. Super exciting. We just got our first listener submitted story to our email. Um, this one is from Pat from Kathleen's Loops. You can find her at facebook.com backslash Kathleen's Loops. It's K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-S-L-O-O-P-S. Yeah, Kathleen's Loops. Awesome. So let's read it to, to us. the story and find out a little bit more about Pat. It was at least 40 years since I had done any knitting. I was a recently retired nurse, sedentary and overweight. I decided to fill my hands with knitting instead of food. I found the biggest commercially available knitting needles, size 50, and used two strands of similar, similarly bulky fat yarn. As a bonus, the yarn was wash and dry on gentle cycle, which would become a major selling point. My first blanket went to my daughter's young family to support cuddling. Oh, I love that. Her toddler and the dogs loved it. I continued to make blankets with no specific plan. I was losing weight, having fun, and had a sense of accomplishment. Kathleen, my sister-in-law, was a creative and loving person before Alzheimer's stole much of her creative skills. She had recently moved into an exemplary memory care unit to support her Alzheimer's journey. Another resident mistook Kathleen's favorite blanket for her own. Multiple blankets were then sent to the memory unit to avoid another such issue. Mm. My brother reported that there was a small army of these lap robes and blankets seen around the unit. All knitting can be reduced to throwing loops around needles. My enterprise was dubbed Kathleen's Loops to keep her story in mind. The weight loss was now at 40 pounds. The blankets kept piling up with abandon as I obsessively created new patterns and color combinations. There were two long-term health health care facilities in my town 
with residents who could use extra attention that was not available from their own families. Each facility welcomed 10 blankets to brighten their spirits. Our community nurse agreed to distribute another dozen blankets to needy locals. I was running out of outlets for free blankets. <laughs> there was a community craft fair. The fee was modest and the risk of failure seemed minimal. My beautiful creations were oohed and awed over, but no one needed a blanket in this retirement community. Friends were giving things away, not acquiring things. I recruited my partner as my Sherpa to haul my product and props, a clothes rack and a drying rack. Flyers, business cards, and woven labels were created. My links to support Alzheimer's research with a portion of my proceeds were prominent in my sales pitches and printed material. I found my background in educating patients and families, helped my confidence in reaching out to prospective customers. I taught how the products could add to their comfort and how important Alzheimer's research is. I expanded my repertoire to include scarves and went to another local fair. Success was modest. Lather, rinse, and repeat that all fall for more... Oh, sorry. Lather, rinse, and repeat that fall for more fairs. A donation was made to Alzheimer's research in honor of Kathleen's journey. We decided that in 2019, we would build the business or consider it a modest hobby and close shop. We drove as far as one hour away and booked 13 events in November and December. Oh, wow. That's a lot. We had scarves and colors for schools and local teams. Business picked up. Pictures of my products were in social media ads. I was getting positive feedback from strangers online. <laughs> I mailed blankets and scarves to four states. We were getting repeat, repeat business. The holiday season brought numerous customer, custom orders we were delighted to fill. Another donation was made to Alzheimer's Research in honor of Kathleen's journey. I was taking online seminars and courses in how to build and support this business. I became an LLC to track my progress and avoid any legal and tax issues. A design studio, a consignment shop for handcrafted materials opened an hour away. The owner reached out online, having seen my ads on Facebook. Details were exchanged. Agreements were signed. The monthly fee was paid, similar to a one-day fare. I purchased bags and attached labels to more professionally support the sales per my new education. My Sherpa and I brought my trusty drying rack, my favorite prop, 10 scarves, and two blankets, and waved goodbye to my creations placed in a stranger's care. It was painful. And now we wait. Wow. So that's a really cool story. Um, let's go back because... No, I love how organically she started because I she probably didn't have a business in mind in right, the beginning. she didn't have a plan. Yeah. And just organically, she was putting herself into this lifestyle. I mean, we've been talking about how you need to walk the walk and talk the talk. When you have a product, you need to also be a part of that, you know, yeah. be an active part of that. And the way she started this, you know, it, it's amazing. There's a whole section where she's talking about how, um, you know, she would engage customers at craft markets mm -hmm. and talk to them about the connection to Alzheimer's. And it's so important. And I think beyond that, you know, to be able to say, this is part of my weight loss journey. This is like, this is legit her baby. Um, and the connection to her sister-in-law, I just think all of that is super cool. And I love that she says her Sherpa, <laughs> like you are my Sherpa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there's so much involved with starting your business that maybe you don't think about initially, because I think for a lot of makers, this does start out as a hobby or a craft that they're, they're doing just because they want to do it. And that's how we started when mm -hmm. we had our Etsy shop just that we were making something cool for our kids and then friends and family really loved it and it kind of spiraled out of control from there where we had negative amounts of time but <laughs> we made it work because it was something that we loved and it gave us that connection to our friends and family. It was just something cool that people had and there was a story behind it. 
Yeah, so to give more context, we used to make growth charts for kids. So these six-foot-long wooden boards with numbers on it that looked like an oversized ruler. And we had one hanging in our house, and we started making them for family and friends. When they would come over, they said, that is so cool. How did you find that? Where did you buy that? And we would say, we made it. Um, so it just started out as something small that we did for ourselves and we did for some close friends and family. Um, and then it evolved into a business. So similar to this story, you know, it started out as something small that she was doing for herself, you know, the weight loss loss journey and the Alzheimer's, um, donations, but it evolved into a full business. And I love the, the second part of the story where she's learning how to do Facebook ads Mm -hmm. and she's learning that she needs, um, business cards and and going to sh- to craft shows and figuring out what the fees are and things like that. That's like the Tracking second. Yeah. That's the second part of the story. The first part really starts at square one, where she's just doing it for herself, and then it evolves into this mm-hmm. bigger thing that is involving so many more pieces. But then I, I guess the third piece is that she is connected to so many charitable outlets and you know the, i don't think everyone is obviously right. yeah of course but um when you're doing that it has to be genuine though you can't just say like oh i want to donate to i don't know leukemia research like it has to be something that you have a tie to because that's all the more it's going to drive you to talk about your product especially if a portion of proceeds mm-hmm. are going back to that charity it has to be something that you really believe in um for us i'd say with uh, you know, personally, I mean, I've over the years donated back to Resolve. They're the National Infertility Association. Um, but from the business angle, I'm a little hesitant to involve our business in that just because I think people have very different views on how families should be built and maybe they don't necessarily know or agree or whatever. And I just think it's it could has the potential to be a little political. But on a personal level, I think we can all agree that our environment needs saving. And that's mm-hmm. something that we've talked about before on our podcast that um, we're trying to make a, a conscious effort over the last year or two to really change the way we do things to be keeping the environment in mind. Um, so with some of the partnerships we do, it's with um, many of Seven Artisan Street and going to the hospitals. In essence, we're supporting the causes, the charitable causes she's tied to, but because we so believe in the upcycled reusable, um, we're able to back her because that then in turn is, is supporting what we believe in. And so it's something that it's like this chain effect of like the things that we can really stand behind and we feel supportive of. Yeah. No matter what it is, you need to believe in it and it has to be passion. Um, it can't just be to do it. So just in this story, you can tell that there's a passion behind it and there's a reason for it. Um, and thank you so much, Pat, for submitting this to us. We loved reading it. We loved hearing your story. Um, and we can't wait to hear what's next. Yeah, I think it's it's fantastic to hear your story and to see the things that you're learning about. So we should probably even follow up with Pat, I think, in a couple of months to see how things have gone with her first retail connection now that she's got her product in a store, um, what that process was like. Maybe we can get her live on the podcast <laughs> if she's open to it. Though I suspect she sent us the story because she's not so fond of like public speaking or you know being on, on a podcast, but we'll see. Uh, maybe we can convince her. But it's really cool to see that you know she really is kind of in the thick of it with getting everything settled LLC-wise and then establishing that brick-and-mortar relationship taking courses on how to, you know, do Facebook ads and things like that. Um, and just kind of learning the ropes basically. 
So as we go on, we'll be talking to more people that can give us some of the insight on how to run Facebook ads, um, how to make connections with brick and mortar stores and, and how to grow your business that way. But this is really cool. It seems like she's got a really good handle on the business end of things, but also obviously on the personal connection and yeah, but- being able to convey that in person, which is something we've been talking about recently, how important it is to personally be invested in what you're doing. Right. You can't just be like, oh, you know, it would be really cool if I started a knitting business and sold because then it's kind of like people will see right through Transactional. That. Yeah. They would go to Target for a scarf or, to, you know, Walmart or just order something off Amazon if they just quickly wanted a scarf. I think when it's a unique situation, people really gravitate toward you. Like we saw in Westfield, um, we had Granny who is from Scotland. She lives six months out of the year in Scotland, six months out of the year here in in Westfield, well, in neighboring Westfield. Yeah, both of her kids, one lives here and one lives there. So, so she, she spends split, time. Yeah, she splits up her time. Yeah. And she was selling these beautiful knit hats and I think gloves maybe. I'm drawing a blank, but I definitely remember hats because people were going crazy over her hats and they were all beautifully done. But I think the bigger draw was that here was this cute Scottish grandmother with her thick brogue. She had a story. She had this story. She had this connection about knitting and knitting for her grandchildren and, and being here and just the price was good. And you know, it just so much of that experience was a package. It was mm-hmm. an experience you were buying from this sweet little grandma who was making these really fun and modern designs with the hats. And it was just, it was all part of a bigger, a bigger scope, you know? So I love that Pat's story is just this whole, it's like a big like snow globe of of Pat's world. (laughs) But that's exactly it. You were talking about the tools that we're going to be talking about in um, future episodes and some of the tools that we talked in the first three, four or five episodes Um, keep listening because you'll keep getting those uh, nuggets of information on how to start your business, how to brand, what Facebook ads really mean, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. So please, 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 I'll put um, Pat's link in the show notes, but go to Facebook and look up Kathleen's Loops and give her a follow. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Thank you so much for listening to the Business Handmade Podcast please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at MarketSpace Vendor Events or on our website, marketspacevendorevents.com.